Okay. Thank you, Margaret. And uh, yeah, if you have your Bibles with you there, keep them open uh, and follow along. We'll be looking at a number of passages in 1 Timothy this morning as we look at a bit of a more of an overview uh, of uh, the letter. Um, and the verses we're looking at will come up on the screen as they always do. Um, we'll pray as we start. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that in your word, the Bible, you teach us uh, all we need to know uh, about you, all we need to know about your son Jesus, all we need to know about salvation from sin and the hope of eternal life. We pray that you help us as we uh, look at uh, the, letter to one t- the letter to Timothy, Paul's first letter to Timothy, this uh, today in this term, uh, help us to understand what we're reading. Help us to be growing in our knowledge of you, now uh, in our maturity of faith, uh, as we do uh, read your word together and help us to be uh, living in ways that reflect our faith in Christ. We pray this uh, for your glory, Lord. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We've titled the series this term, Growing in Godliness. Uh, I'm not sure godliness is a very well understood term today. Uh, not a word that's used a lot. Uh, on the face of it, it might seem quite easy to understand. Surely, God, surely godliness is simply the, the state of being like God. But what could that mean? Uh, it's not a word that's used a lot. It's not a word that's used regularly these days. Uh, probably the most familiar use of the word is in the phrase, cleanliness is next to godliness. I wonder if you've heard that phrase, did you ever hear it growing up, or have you used that phrase, maybe with your children, uh, as a way to encourage them, perhaps to clean behind their ears. Uh, it was certainly used on me on the odd occasion. Uh, seems to have come from uh, a Victorian-era Christian morality, where the values of piety and moral, dil- moral diligence uh, were highly valued, uh, as they ought to be, but especially as this showed in your physical presentation. Uh, English scientist and philosopher Sir Francis Bacon wrote in 1605, Cleanness of body was ever esteemed to proceed from a due reverence to God, to society and to ourselves. Uh, this uh, concept was one that society really seemed to take hold of at the time, uh, In the next century, an epitaph in a popular magazine at the time read like this. On the morning of the 31st of January, 1776, a female of exquisite beauty and great merit departed this life after an irksome illness of five months, which she bore with uncommon patience and fortitude. Her gentleness of disposition, sweetness of temper and goodness of heart were all conspicuous in her honest, complacent countenance and could only be equaled by her constancy and constancy and fidelity. And these last exceed all description. For cleanliness, through her whole life, a virtue next to godliness, she was not to be excelled. She was always remarkably neat and decent, decent in herself, therefore was ever averse to seeing any person in rags. That epitaph was written by a man named Captain Knox, Not about a person, but about his favourite dog, Phyllis. (laughs) Uh, A glowing description of the moral and physical virtue of a dog. (laughs) Um, John Wesley 
gave a sermon in 1791 where he said, Let it be observed that slovenliness, slovenliness is no part of religion, that neither this nor any text of scripture condemns neatness of apparel. Certainly this is a duty, not a sin. Cleanliness is indeed next to godliness. Uh, part of Wesley's instructions to superintendents in the Methodist church as they trained the preachers under their supervision was to, quote, everywhere recommend decency and cleanliness. Cleanliness is next to godliness. Uh, perhaps not surprising uh, that it was around this time, the late 1700s, that the production, marketing and use of soap really started to take off. Uh, can you imagine a, a clergyman having uh, that kind of influence in society today? Um, an article in a Methodist magazine founded by Wesley in 1786 encourages clergy to teach cleanliness to the poor when they visit. Quote, it was said by a pious man, cleanliness is next to godliness. Indeed, the want of it is a scandal to all religion, causing the way of truth to be evil spoken of. So perhaps we have John Wesley to thank for the popular, popular use of the phrase cleanliness is next to godliness. And cleanliness, uh, we see in, in, in the way it's spoken about there, becomes the thing that shows the evidence of your godliness. Uh, it's not just a sign of wealth and the fact that you can afford to buy soap, but of, of hard work and of moral diligence. Without cleanliness, you bring the Christian religion into disrepute. Is that how we ought to understand godliness? Uh, today, as we begin our series in 1 Timothy, we're going to, as I said, take an overview of the book and particularly this theme of godliness. And Paul, uh, thankfully, has uh, more to say well, specifically about godliness in this one letter than we find in any other single book of the Bible. Uh, certainly, the use of the words godly or godliness uh, account for about one-third of all references in the Bible, just here in 1 Timothy. Um, it's not an entirely unique word, of course, and we can see as we read other parts of Scripture the way it's related to other, other words. God, godliness is related to um, other concepts that we speak of. It's closely related to holiness, um, and we see that a number of times in Scripture. We speak about uh, godliness as we might speak about sanctification, uh, or of imitating Christ or of growing in maturity as believers. Uh, godliness is about the connection between our Christian belief and behaviour uh, in a similar way to the connection, say, between faith and works. Uh, right behaviour follows right belief and this can be called godliness. Uh, in your weekly email, you might have noticed there's a link, as we often provide to a, a an introductory sort of article to the letter we're studying. There's one there by the Gospel Coalition, an introduction to 1 Timothy. And if uh, you read that uh, article, you'll see godliness defined in this way. They say that the gospel leads to practical, visible change in the lives of those who believe it. Uh, and this change in life is, is godliness, as they say. The true gospel, in contrast to false teaching, will always lead to godliness in its adherence. The way of belief leading to a practice a way of life. Uh, Jerry Bridges, in his book, The Practice of Godliness, says, Godliness can be defined as, a devotion, as devotion to God, which results in a life that is pleasing to him. Uh, the connection between our belief in Christ and the life we live. So 
So as we think about godliness uh, and growing in godliness, as we read 1 Timothy, we might have all these ideas in mind and more. Uh, when, when a word has as few references to godliness as, as, godly, as, as godliness does, well, it, it can be more difficult to define than words that appear more often. But at the same time, it's a bit like a, a platypus. I think you, you might not be able to perfectly describe or define it, but you know it when you see it. <laughs> it's easier to show someone perhaps than to describe it. Uh, and that's largely the point, I, I think, as we'll see, that godliness is about our way of life, uh, a way of life that's visible because of what we believe. Uh, so let's see how this theme runs through Paul's first letter to Timothy. Let's see what uh, Paul has to tell us about uh, godliness. In the middle of the letter, uh, at the end of chapter 3, Paul briefly outlines his purpose in writing. And that's a pretty good place to start in getting a handle on key themes. Uh, the author's purpose, chapter 3, verses 14 to 16. Follow along with me there. Uh, Although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing you these instructions so that, if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness springs is great. He appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. Paul's uh, Paul's instructing Timothy here on how Christians ought to conduct themselves, how they ought to live. And in verse 16, he, he shows where this way of life that he's teaching comes from. The mystery from which godliness springs is the gospel. The truth of salvation from sin in Christ. Uh, Jesus is the basis of a godly life. True godliness springs from belief in Jesus. Uh, When Paul talks about the mystery that godliness springs from, he's not talking about something strange and unknowable. He's talking about a truth that was once hidden but now revealed. And if you remember last year as we looked at the letter uh, to the Ephesians, Paul uses this word mystery in the same way, talking about a glorious truth. Uh, it was once hidden, but has now made, been made known. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 to 10. Uh, have a look at what Paul says there. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed. In Christ, the redemption that came by Jesus' blood shed for us, God's grace and mercy lavished on us in Jesus. This is the mystery, the truth from which godliness springs. And that godliness, Paul says in 1 Timothy 3 verses 15 and 16, it's about our conduct our way of life together in the church as God's people. Paul instructs Timothy to teach this truth uh, in opposition to the false teaching that's going around the church at Ephesus. Uh, If we're going to live godly lives, we need to know the truth that true godliness springs from. Uh, One of our big problems, the big problems that Paul's letter responds to is false teaching. Uh, And Paul writes to urge Timothy to teach the truth that leads to godly living. Uh, Just one example Of this, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 2 and 4. 
These are the things you are to teach and insist on. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, they are conceited and understand nothing. See, their belief in the truth of the gospel will lead to godly living. Uh, Paul introduces his letter to Titus in a similar way, with the, uh, the, the purpose of teaching the salvation truth that leads to godliness, encouraging Titus to teach the same. Titus chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Christ Jesus, to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. So there's the first thing that I want to try and draw out. Looking at Paul's purpose in writing to Timothy, godliness springs from the gospel. Uh, godliness uh, springs from what we uh, believe, belief in the truth uh, about Jesus leads to godly behavior. Leading on from that initial point uh, is that this godliness then should characterize our whole lives. Uh, it's not just when we're at church on Sunday, not just when we're around our fellow Christians, but it should be evident in our whole lives and we should pray to that end uh, because our godliness reflects our concern for the lost. It's an example to those in the world around us who don't yet know the truth that leads to godliness. 1 Timothy 2 and verses 1 and 2. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Paul putting forward there that attitude of prayer and thanksgiving for all people, uh, for kings, for those in authority. Uh, and Paul follows his injunction to live in, in, in godliness uh, with verses 3 and 4. See what he says there. Uh, this is good and pleases God our Saviour who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. It's our godliness, the, the, our life lived in response to our faith in Christ, that is an example to those who aren't yet convicted by the gospel. Their, their view of our lives as Christians points them to our belief in Christ, or it should, and this is what God wants. Uh, the Apostle Peter says a similar thing in his first letter, talking about how Christians should live in light of Jesus' return. 1 Peter 3, verses 8 to 11. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. God is patiently waiting for all his people to come to faith and be saved. Uh, he's giving us the time that we need, our godliness as his people, uh, is a key way of communicating that truth to the world. Um, godliness is noticeable. It stands out, especially in what can be a pretty ungodly world. Uh, I remember working in the intensive care unit one day and uh, 
uh, dealing with a, a fairly agitated patient. They had lots of needs, uh, very demanding, but completely unaware of how taxing it was to care for them. Uh, and I was just going about my work, being as patient and caring as I could, you know, speaking kindly, uh, as you do even when the patient is constantly testing you. Um, a young doctor was sitting over at the staff station. He'd been with us in ICU for a couple of months by this stage, and he just said to me, how can you be so patient? He's watching this happening, <laughs> all of this busyness, and how can you be so patient? You're just so calm and patient with it. I just couldn't do that. Now, being the doctor is a little bit different to being the nurse, and I didn't say, you know, well, if I wasn't patient with my patients, I'd crack it and quit within about a week. <laughs> can't remember exactly what I said, but it did lead to a short conversation about my faith, and, well, and that was great. What he noticed first and what gave me the opportunity to talk about what I believed was my behaviour, my patient behaviour, which is an aspect of godliness. So it's influenced by the gospel and, and my faith in a God who is patient with me. See, godliness should characterise our whole lives. And it points people to the God we believe in. It shows that we share our patient God's love for the lost. The third thing that we see uh, in 1 Timothy about godliness, and again this flows fairly uh, easily from what we've already seen, is that godliness is something we can and should train in. Uh, because godliness has great value for both this life and the next uh, this is one of the reasons we can talk about growing in godliness. This is an aspect of life that we can work on and improve for our good and for the good of others. Again, we know that Paul is countering false teaching in Ephesus. He's instructing Timothy to avoid the rubbish and rot that some are teaching, things that may have an appearance of wisdom or godliness, but are really just distractions from the truth of the gospel. And as he's urging Timothy to point his people in the right direction. He says this, chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Train yourself to be godly, Paul says. Physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, uh, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Now, you may be aware, as I am, that, yep, physical training is indeed of some value. <laughs> uh, since learning that I have diabetes several years ago, I've, I've done, been doing more physical training, more exercise, more bike riding, uh, more strength training and weights training. My exercise physiologist... He tells me that can be really helpful for diabetics. And I definitely feel better when I exercise. It makes you feel better, doesn't it, after you do some exercise? Uh, and I feel it when I let the exercise lapse a bit. And all of a sudden, you know, walking up that hill isn't so easy or running around, running around with the, the kids. I get puffed after just a short play. And I know, too, <laughs> uh, that one day the benefit of all that training, as good as it is, will be lost. Uh, it's a stall at best, keeping my fitness at a reasonable level for as long as possible until I die. Um, it's a very positive outlook on life. Uh, but godliness, Paul says, is good for this life and the next. Paul's already talked about the quiet living, peaceful lives 
living in, in God, all godliness and holiness. He's talked about godliness as a way of uh, imitating God, of sharing uh, God's desire to see people saved. He, he now also reminds us that godliness has eternal benefits. Our godliness and godly living, it flows out of our belief in Jesus. That's something that assures us of freedom from sin and uh, resurrection hope. Godly living now reminds us of what we have to look forward to because of our faith in Jesus and his saving work on our behalf. The Apostle Peter again echoes similar thoughts on the value of godliness. 2 Peter 1 verses 3 to 7, uh, speaking here about the, the grace we've received from God. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love. There's great value in godliness. God's gracious gift to us is of immeasurable value uh, when we consider all that it entails. Peter lists several characteristics there that we uh, should strive to add to our faith. And Paul does the same at uh, the, the end of his letter to Timothy when he urges him to pursue uh, godliness as opposed to ungodly temptations. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 11 and 12. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Our faith in Christ gives us immeasurable, eternal wealth. And so godliness, which springs from the gospel, has great value for our lives now and in, into eternity. Uh, we can't put a, put a price on it. We have so much to be thankful to God for. We have great reason to live godly lives in response to God's free gift of salvation. And that leads again to our fourth and uh, final point about godliness. Uh, we'll come back to all these ideas in more depth as we work our way through the letter, passage by passage. But again, uh, towards the end of his letter here, Paul points out the contentment that we can have as we train in godliness. He compares false teachers again with how Timothy is to preach the gospel. And Paul demonstrates the great contentment that comes with true godliness. So chapter 6, verses 4 to 6. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, uh, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. See, there's a false form of godliness that seeks only financial gain. It's not true godliness, but a show. It's for material profit. True godliness, on the other hand, where we're content with whatever comes, that is great gain. That is great gain because we're resting in God's provision. 
We, we can have such contentment in godly living precisely because we know the free gift of salvation that it springs from. The truth of the gospel is God's free gift of salvation, his grace and mercy to us. And it is the mystery from which godliness springs. We, we live godly lives because we believe God has done so much for us at no cost to ourselves. If this wasn't the case, if instead we uh, somehow uh, try to earn God's favour by our godly way of living, well, godliness would be a chore. Actually, just an anxiety-producing responsibility after which we'd probably still have no assurance of salvation. But instead, we have contentment, trusting in Jesus and his saving sacrifice for us. We have the great assurance of life after this life. One for us by the one who is in control of all life and is now ruling from heaven. Uh, see again what Paul said there in chapter 3, verse 16. Beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness springs is great. He appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. The basis for our godliness, the, the godly living, is immense. The, the, the wonderful truth of the, God, the gospel and so true godliness matches perfectly with contentment because godliness holds promise both for this life and the life to come. Nothing else can give us that. It's not something we can earn. Uh, pretend godliness in exchange for financial gain. That's completely limited. You've, you've received the reward for your efforts and that's the end. But true godliness means contentment because your reward comes from the one with limitless resources to share. Uh, all that requires, uh, that's required from you is that you believe. Uh, godliness is a term uh, which perhaps we may not understand as well as we we should, perhaps not as well as we uh, understand other terms, other uh, words in, in, in Scripture sometimes, even as Christians. Uh, it's a word that doesn't appear as often as some words, a term that um, certainly the world, uh, I think we could say, doesn't understand terribly well. Uh, it's a term we'll, we'll learn much more about as we read through 1 Timothy, along with all the other riches of knowledge that we'll find in this letter. Uh, it's certainly not all that... Uh, that Paul talks about, but as we think of uh, read 1 Timothy with this uh, theme of growing in godliness uh, in mind, we'll see the way that Timothy helps us. This letter helps us to grow in godliness, helps us to live in response to uh, what we believe. Uh, we'll see how godly living flows from our belief in God, the salvation that he provides in Jesus. Uh, we, we might uh, scoff a little um, and have a bit of a laugh at the Victorian morality of the 18th century and their focus on things like cleanliness and uh, physical cleanness as a show of our morality. Uh, that quote from John Wesley's sermon again uh, in 1791, what did he say? Let it be observed that slovenliness, slovenliness is no part of religion, that neither this nor any text of scripture condemns neatness of apparel, certainly this is a duty, not a sin. Cleanliness is indeed next to godliness. It's worth noting as we read that quote, though, that Wesley was pointing out that physical cleanliness 
although it was to be encouraged, was not a religious requirement. There's nothing in the Bible that requires believers to be clean of body, as popular a saying as that might have become, uh, Wesley would say. But what the Bible does speak about is cleanliness of heart. Uh, A pure heart is what's required before God. And where does cleanliness, where does that purity of heart come from? Except from faith in our King Jesus, who died and rose again for us. Uh, A life that, that we live as Christians ought to demonstrate what we believe because of the cleanliness that is inside us, thanks, thanks to Jesus. And if that's the motivation for right living, even for physical cleanliness, well then let us live as godly lives as we possibly can in order to demonstrate the saving faith that we so gratefully hold to. Let's train in godliness and pursue godliness. As Paul says, and uh, might this be more and more uh, demonstrating the grace of God in our lives. Let's pray. Please pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you for your word. We thank you that as we read your word, we learn more of you. We learn of your gracious gift of salvation that we receive through the love shown in your Son, Jesus. We praise you that Uh, Jesus' sacrifice does give that forgiveness for sin, that uh, hope of eternal life, that because he died and rose again, we know that we are saved. We know we will uh, live in eternity with you, and we praise you for this, Lord. We pray that as we learn more of Christ, as we grow, uh, as as followers of Jesus, as we grow in maturity of faith, help us to grow in godliness, Lord. Help our lives to show more and more your goodness to us. Help our lives to be a demonstration of the wonderful gospel truth that we believe. As we do this, we pray that you, Lord, would be glorified and that more might come to know your son Jesus and to put their faith in him also. Uh, so that you would be glorified. We pray all of this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.